He calls Jonah to be prophet to the people of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrians. And where we're at right now in, the, in this story is, is that we are still in the age of the two kingdoms. Remember we talked about how um, uh, you know, Israel split into the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the, the, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so we are still in the time of the two kingdoms. Jonah presumably comes from the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom... Uh, had been conquered by the Assyrians numerous times. And, and uh, when the Assyrians conquered, they did horrible things uh, to the people of Israel. They, I mean, they leveled cities and killed thousands, the Assyrians did. And if you vis visit the British Museum, uh, you can see these wall reliefs depicting the Assyrian sieges. The, the famous siege of uh, Lachish shows multiple images of Judeans being impaled and shows stacks of Judean heads that were collected by the Assyrian army. These reliefs that I'm talking about were discovered by archaeologists in the palace of Sennacherib. Sennacherib, one of the great Assyrian kings. So apparently, tortured and beheaded Jews were the subject of artwork on the walls of the Assyrian palace, if you will. Now given this, what God calls Jonah to prophesy is something you can actually kind of imagine that Jonah would embrace. Because God says, go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So he's saying, you know, go tell them how wicked they are. But Jonah understands something about God that we're going to learn later in the story. And because of what Jonah knows, Jonah tries to run from both God and his job as prophet. So he goes to Joppa, and Joppa is a port city, really a gateway to the west, Joppa is. In other words, Joppa is the way to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. But then we continue our story. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps the, perhaps the God will spare us a, a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, 
Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where, what is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And when I read this part of the story, I couldn't help but be reminded of another story that happens hundreds and hundreds of years after this one. In that story, there's a group of men in a boat, and a storm rears up on the waters, and the men are in fear for their life, but, in, but asleep in the boat, like Jonah, is a man named Jesus. His disciples wake him to save their lives, they say to him, what are you doing to sleep down here? And then Jesus calms the seas, and the men marvel that even the wind and the waves obey him. And Jesus tells them not to fear, because he's in control. Jonah is resigned to any fear he may have, because he knows God's in control. And then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now let's think about something here. In this section that we just read, is Jonah being thrown into the sea the only solution to this problem? I got to imagine it's not. If Jonah would just say yes to what God is calling him to do, I mean, isn't that right? If Jonah would just humble himself enough to say, all right, God, I'll do it. you got to believe the storm would have ceased then. But Jonah is so opposed, so opposed to what God is asking him to do that he would rather drown in the sea than do it. He'd rather die than do what God's calling him to do. The sailors on the ship are afraid for their lives. 
But, but they don't want this guy's blood on their hands. They're, they're not even worshipers of the Lord, at least not at the beginning of the story. <laughs> Amazingly, Jonah ends up being a very good evangelist because by the end of this part of the story, they're all believers. But nevertheless, the sailors have a respect for human life and a healthy fear of an angry God. Remember how just last week we talked about how God will often work in our lives through unusual people and circumstances. Here it is again. It isn't Jonah bringing about God's will, but a group of superstitious pagan sailors. They first try, they first try to save all their lives by rowing against the storm back to shore. But they can't do it. The storm is too fierce. So reluctantly, they do as Jonah asks, and they throw him overboard. The storm stops. They make vows to the Lord. And a fish takes Jonah and spits him out on the shores, of course, of Nineveh. And that's where we pick up the story. Chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up. <laughs> it's kind of funny, really. <laughs> All right, Jonah, you tried running. <laughs> Here you are, you're on the shores of Nineveh now. Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to them the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now at this point, Jonah is, is resigned to what God is calling him to do. Uh, he is perhaps uh, the most unenthusiastic, least committed preacher in history. <laughs> but he's going to do it. He doesn't want to. Uh, but at this point, he feels, for good reason, that he's got no choice in the matter, right? So he delivers God's message to Nineveh. He walks through the streets of Nineveh. Here we are. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. Now here we have one of the worst delivered sermons in human history. And what is the result? The entire city believes. Not only that, as we see here just now in a moment, the king believes. When the news reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is a sign of repentance. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. No human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, they shall, nor shall they drink water. 
Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their minds. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. So these are the same people who slaughtered the Jews and countless other people. Their king thought that scenes of mutilated people were acceptable decoration, like the wooden stream paintings that you hang above your sofa. Jonah, a Jew, preaches to them about their evil. And they repent. And then God does this. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. God hears their cries, sees their repentance, and he forgives. He forgives these people. These people who were responsible for countless atrocities. They say they're sorry, and God forgives. You see, this all along is what Jonah feared. This is why he ran. Yet, it was about his hate for the Assyrians, but even more, it was because he knew that God had the capacity to forgive. Listen. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? There it is. Think about it. Think about what God wanted him to preach. He was supposed to tell them how awful they were and that God was going to punish them. Is there really anything better God could ask you to say to your enemies? But Jonah knew that if he preached, there was a chance they would repent. And if they repented, he knew God would forgive. It wasn't his hate that Jonah couldn't live with. It was God's love that he couldn't live with. He could not bear that God might show love to his enemy. And so now Jonah wants to just die. 
because he had to play a role, a part in having these people forgiven. Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy with the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes. Angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, which you did not grow, and it came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So God says to Jonah, look at you. You are so upset over a plant dying. A plant that did nothing but give you shade. You didn't plant it. You didn't grow it. And it was only around for a night. But you're mourning that it's gone. And yet you are saying, I shouldn't care about Nineveh, a city full of people. People I knit together in the womb. People I watched grow from birth. You, Jonah, told the sailors that I am the Lord of creation. They are my creations. All living things are my creations. And the people of Nineveh may be sinners, but I love them. And there is what we learn about God. You see, God is a God of justice and a God of grace. But when God's justice comes into conflict with God's grace, what we learn is that it's always grace that wins. And you know, there are times when we might hate that about God. <clears throat> when it's our enemy that is being forgiven, 
when it is someone who has hurt us that has been given a second chance by God. We all want justice until we realize that we are not Jonah. We're the Ninevites. Without God's grace, none of us survive. God's grace is for all, or it is for none, because none of us deserve it. Again, when God says they don't know their right hand from the left, he is saying something that we hear about ourselves hundreds and hundreds of years later in another story. A man, the same man that was in that boat, is being crucified. His name is Jesus. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Thank God that his grace wins out over his justice. 